Welcome to Financial R&R, a show dedicated to financial insurance and risk management solutions and trends shaping the market today. Here are your hosts, Ron Boris and Ryan Farnsworth. Well, welcome everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the latest uh, edition of the Financial r and I'm Ron Boris here with Ryan Farnsworth. And today we're talking uh, SEC examination priorities. As, as many of you may have seen in the last uh, week or so, the SEC has, has come out with their 2022 exam uh, initiatives and, and, and things that they're going to be focused on. Certainly some, some repeat things that we've seen over the years, particularly in the area of, of, of cyber and cyber preparedness, but, but certainly some things that have... Uh, you know, creeped up onto the list that we thought it would be great to, to talk about. So you know, with Ryan and I, we have uh, Blake Cramsey and Eric Broom from our financial institutions team, and uh, looking forward to a really thoughtful and informative conversation. So thanks for joining us, Blake and, and Eric. Great. Thanks, yeah, thanks, for, thanks for having, for having us, having Ryan. Ryan. Ron, one of the things that is is underscoring the exam priorities is the, the other activity that's going on from the SEC as well towards private fund managers and some of the proposed rules that could be in effect as recently as uh, as the next few weeks. And, and it underscores a lot of what the SEC is doing towards private fund managers and a lot of the discussions we want to have with Blake and Eric today center around a few of the three C's that we talked about on one of our last podcasts with Tyler Entwistle, which was focused on climate, cyber, and crypto, and some of the other things. We'll even throw SPACs in there. And, and I think that's probably one, one area where we can start, Blake, as we think about SPACs and the SEC's continued focus on on investments in SPACs and SPAC activity itself, particularly where the fund manager is also the SPAC sponsor. I mean, what changes have we seen, broadly speaking, and then in the insurance market as a result of that type of uh, priorities? Yeah, absolutely, Ryan. You know, the, the SPAC space has has been an area of focus here for the better part of the past two years, really. You know, we've seen obviously a massive uptick in and SPAC listings, which we've we've covered in a number of different podcasts, and now we're we're starting to see things kind of come around full circle, where we've got a, a very increased focus from uh, from the SEC, and and that is clearly spelled out here in their 2020 examination priority report, specifically in the private fund context, which is priority number one. Some of the key stats here were obviously a meaningful player in the asset management and in the private company space. But with that said, I think the numbers are pretty impressive. I mean, I, I see the numbers here of a 70% increase in, in assets moving into the private fund space. And with that, there's been a, a pretty strong movement in, into SPACs, both investing in SPAC positions as well as launching SPACs. And that's an area where we see a, a quite a bit of risk and quite a bit of change with respect to the insurance coverage and the capital that's available for that insurance coverage. And, and what I mean by that is uh, specifically with respects to advisors uh, and or their funds that are sponsoring a SPAC. That has become a key underwriting consideration for many carriers in an area where they have looked to take some very uh, specific action with respects to unintended consequences. That that in and of itself is an issue because we've got a variety of different coverages. A SPAC DNO policy is a public company DNO policy, um, which is designed to pick up public company exposures. And the problem with that is, you know, when you're a when you're a SPAC sponsor, that's a private equity or a hedge fund or an asset manager. You you have the limited partner exposures, which are not just limited to securities claims uh, as it relates to an IPO. 
or a, a publicly traded company. So the, the 33 Act and the 34 Act type exposures go far beyond that for that of a, of a private fund and a private fund asset manager. Oh, thanks, Blake. I mean, that's that's super interesting, especially when you think about the way that the SEC has changed their tactics in the last few years, where where there's significant rulemaking for private funds, and we're probably approaching the most significant rulemaking since Dodd-Frank for the private fund industry, but it's also coincided with an uptick in the enforcement division expanding its efforts directed at private fund managers, and that all happening at the same time as uh, as the Spacapalooza, as we've called it here, and as we've seen it talk about, it, it, it's concerning for a lot of advisors in that in that space, and even investors are being drawn away from from SPACs, and and underwriters are looking at you know when I'm talking about you know underwriters like Goldman Sachs and the like are looking at winding down or drawing back their SPAC resources because you know their their excitement in SPACs is being quelled a little bit by the activity by the investors, and we've seen a 46% uptick in the number of exams that have resulted directly in enforcement actions and handing it directly over to, to enforcement. And so you know, there's no reason to, to believe why SPACs might not be next on the radar uh, for, those, for those referrals. You know, pivoting a little bit, Eric, as we think about you know, the cyber, right? We've covered the SPACs, think about the cyber. You know, earlier this year, we saw the SEC continue to have proposed rules and activity for RIAs and other registered investment companies. I mean, what should those entities and, and managers be, be concerned with, and even including their fund boards? What should they be aware of, and how should they be impacted by the cyber uh, disclosures that are proposed? Yeah, so, you know, the, the cyber portion, especially for our private funds has, has probably been going on for a number of years. You know, we had, first we had GDPR, we had the you know the New York Financial Services Division, we had the California Protection Act. All those were geared mainly at private funds. These proposed rules, you know, specifically aimed at registered funds, will really shift you know how we see you know boards needing to respond to, to cyber risk and cyber exposure. There are certain things that under these proposed rules would require registered fund boards to consider, uh, mainly being disclosures under various registration statements and, and ADVs, um, whether or not there's been any incidents that need to be disclosed. There would actually be a mandatory incident reporting within 48 hours for registered funds of, of being become aware of a cyber incident. There would also be, you know, from a board oversight perspective, you know, really the, the board would have to approve policies and procedures along with the annual review and, and written report to those policies and procedures. And, and really, you know, what, what we haven't seen from an insurance perspective is whether or not, you know, the, the policies intended to pick up, you know, cyber exposure for fund boards. We've always taken the approach that third-party liability, which is the main exposure for, for fund boards, is, is covered here for, you know, for the oversight of, you know, cyber policies and procedures. The, the fund itself does not, you know, especially where, the registered investment advisor is not also part of a joint insurance policy. It doesn't have, you know, the computer system that, you know, by itself that a registered advisor would have. So, you know, I think the shift is going to be for us to really focus on um, whether or not, you know, this needs additional consideration from an insurance perspective. Yeah, no, listen, that, that's a great point, Eric. And we, we certainly have exhausted, at least from my perspective, the conversation on, on cyber relative to the exposures of, of registered funds. But again, it, it just continues to sort of pop up on these examination priority lists. And I guess really to, to no big surprise there. No, those, those are good points. And especially as we think about, you know, the, the third C, which is crypto, um, you know, it, there's significant 
investment in that space. You know, perhaps some of the SPAC resources that were there a couple of years ago are now being diverted towards crypto. And we see reports of fund administrators and, and other service providers for crypto funds who are who are trying to hire at a at a high clip because of all the demand that they're seeing, especially since President Biden's executive order earlier this year, when fund managers now are considering investment in crypto, digital assets. You know, I'll kind of open this up to Blake and then Eric, if you have any additional comments as well. I mean, what are some, not just insurance implications, but overall risk implications that fund managers should be aware of with respect to crypto right now? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a conversation we've been having for a while. You know, the, the risk is certainly changing. I mean, adding crypto to your portfolio or to your fund and, you know, whether that be at a client request or not, it, it is an added exposure to you for a variety of reasons, right? I mean, there's valuation concerns, there's mark-to-market concerns, there's liquidity concerns, there's, there's a, a, a sizable amount of, of custodial issues, fraud, right? I mean, there's a ton of fraud in this space. And all of those things, I think, in a nutshell, paint a more difficult picture from a risk perspective. You know, where, where we do have clients that have a an investment allocation to crypto or even just to, to regular Bitcoin, which is obviously the mainstream product that most are adding to the portfolio. Um, it, it does generate a, a conversation at a minimum and, and potentially some wording changes. When it comes to crime, it's a much more difficult conversation. There are robust programs in place for the larger custodians of the world that house these assets on behalf of their clients, many of whom are asset managers. There's not nearly enough insurance to cover a claim should that said custodian have an issue. The, the issue of storage is also there. You know, warm storage, cold storage, hot storage, all of those things matter. And, and the primary concern there is, is crime. Right. What happens if those assets disappear? The key is stolen. Is it gone forever? Most likely. Um, you know, those things are all risks that we're looking to solve for um, in, in a challenging marketplace. Oh, all great points, Blake. And I think that those are part of the, the issues that the regulators are trying to solve for as well. I mean, we talk about all the time is right now it's very difficult to ensure those types of risk from a crypto perspective and, and and other blockchain risks because there's limited or really no regulation in the space it's it's not unlike what the hedge fund and private equity funds were dealing with 20 years ago as they were seeking insurance but there was little to no regulation for them as well and here we are talking about how regulation is nonstop for them at this point so you know imagine that in 20 years, we're probably having the same conversations around crypto and, and then who knows what else is down the road, probably another, another C at some point, right? But, but you know, the, the talk around you know, crypto and cyber and SPACs is, is definitely in front of mind for, for us um, from an insurance perspective and within our financial institutions practices, we help our clients try to find that more rewarding way to manage risk. It's a way to think through what the regulators are doing. And, and once regulation comes to a head um, at some point in the next six to 12 months for crypto firms, uh, our, our hope and expectation is that the insurance marketplace will follow suit and be able to um, have more clarity and certainty in those underwriting decisions. It, it, you know, we've really appreciated this discussion and bouncing around the SEC exam priorities for 2022. I want to just open it up to, to you first, Eric, and then to Blake, just to see if you have any closing thoughts or, or other recommendations or suggestions for private fund managers as they embrace uh, maybe what's ahead for, for the proposed rules and other, 
activities from the SEC in 2022? Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously the SEC is really focused on compliance and will continue to be so. You know, I think from an insurance perspective, it does make sense to to continue to review your insurance product to see if there's something um, that can help navigate those waters. You know, one of the things that we always look for and recommend to our fund manager clients is uh, mock exam reimbursement. So to the extent that you are using a mock regulatory exam as, as part of your you know, routine compliance you know, offering, there is some insurers that will reimburse and, and pay part of that because they view it as a you know, mitigation tool from their perspective to help minimize the risk that they're underwriting to. So it's certainly a way to help you know, improve your security and, and your compliance but at the same time, get some you know, some money back from insurance for doing so. Yeah, just to add to that, as a leading broker in the asset management community, we, we regularly partake in those mock exams as your insurance advisor. And we will do the same thing from a cyber perspective. And those things, I think, are the difference between a successful outcome and a really bad one at times. The only other thing that I would add is, you know, a lot of what we're talking about is is developing as we speak, there are a variety of different bills being considered. So it's not all doom and gloom. There is a, a, a large amount of new insurance capital entering the marketplace. The last time we counted this, there was, there was 11 new markets in the past couple of weeks here. So there is opportunity for us to innovate and to create effective solutions for our clients. And, and we would welcome any conversations uh, for those listening to this podcast. So so please reach out to us with any questions that you may have. Well, listen, guys, it's a, a great, great discussion, certainly a very timely topic. And uh, for those of you who would like to learn more about Alliant um, or, or the folks here, visit our website at www.alliant.com. But with that, we'll wrap up today's podcast. Thank you both for, for joining us.